What's up, all you Johnny Lingos out there? You are listening to Polygonometry. This is a sit-down cast where every speech episode, I talk to one of the members of my giant, so big, huge family, and we talk and just just have a little chit-chat about how many cows you need to buy a wife. <laughs> What's up, dudes, babes, babe, dudes, and dude babes? Guys, how's it going? As always, if you have any sort of questions, comments, or concerns, uh, hit me up, Facebook, Gmail, Instagram. Um, and we also have a, a, a cute little uh, cute little announcement for today's episode. We are going to be launching a Patreon associated with polygonometry. Like I mentioned in a few episodes, ago like I would much rather have small businesses reach out and do ads and that kind of thing but nobody's reached out so here's the thing guys I got bills I gotta pay so I record stuff when I can okay all right yeah so I, I I have to justify this shit you know so I have to you know I have to make it happen so we're putting things together it's gonna be launching probably within the next maybe month or two um, we're gonna have a bunch of different tiers it's gonna be fun it's gonna be exciting you got a lot of cool stuff background behind the scenes stuff extra episodes um, we are also going to be launching a brand new podcast depending on which level of tier you subscribe to. Brand new podcast, completely, it's a, it's like a polygonometry offshoot podcast. There's gonna be a lot of scripture, there's gonna be a lot of laughs, and it's gonna be great. So, keep an eye out for that. But, today's episode is going to be great because we have Ben Brown. Ben Brown, if you don't know who he is, he is a young man who grew up in the AUB, same as me, and you can find him on TikTok at the Fresh King Benjamin. This TikTok account, this guy's great. This guy has over 580,000 likes on his TikTok page. He has over 60,000 followers, okay? This guy's hilarious. He's also a stand-up comic, which is great for me because I used to think that I was like the only polygamist stand-up guy. You know what I mean? Not like a stand-up guy. It's like, oh, most polygamists are pretty stand-up dudes. You know what I mean? But they don't do stand-up. You know what I'm talking about? But guys, it's going to be a great episode, and uh, keep an eye out for more stuff coming your way. And as for right now, I really hope you guys enjoy the first episode that I have with the polyglot himself, Ben Brown. Uh, I will, I'll start out by saying this, if you don't mind. For sure. Uh, when you started going nuts on TikTok, there was a part of me, because I'm also a stand-up comic, there was yeah. a part of me that was like, God damn it, Ben got the goddamn, he hit it. He hit the crowd that I wanted to hit, man. Got, this is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, it's all good, man. I, I thought that, I mean, your stuff is so fucking funny. And, oh, I and I mean, uh, the thing that I like I about your stuff. I think there's plenty of room out there for, for all of us to tell our stories. <laughs> oh, I know. Oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, not, I'm not worried about that. But the thing that I like about your stuff is that you've also, like, it started out just kind of being goofy. And then now that you've gotten so much traction with comments and people asking you questions and like that kind of thing, you've kind of taken like this educational part. So I'm glad to know yeah. that you are a teacher because I saw that immediately. I was like, oh, this guy, he's been in front of kids before or at least somebody and and had and that there's vibe a lot of misinformation out there there's a lot there's a lot that people just don't know and so being able to talk about it in a, in a way that's informative it also allows me i think to say things that are a little that are perhaps a little more edgy because i'm so I, when i say something like mormonism is a cult that doesn't come off as i'm being a dick that comes off as i've looked at the criteria of a cult and i know <laughs> that it 
matches the criteria. It so matches up pretty well. That's what I would call it. Like, why would you call anything at anything else? So here's a question then. What is your definition of a cult? So a cult, I, I really like, um, have you, uh, have you come across Stephen Hassan? He has this book called combating cult mind control. Yes. I've heard of it. I haven't read it myself, but I've heard of it. So he has what's called the bite model. And so he says a cult is anything that, that engages in four different kinds of control. So, and it's, the acronym is B I T E. So bite is behavioral, behavioral control. I is information control. T is thought control and E is emotion control. So any okay. organization that tries to control your behavior, the information that you get, the thoughts that you think, and the emotions that you feel is a cult. All right. That's very interesting. To me, <laughs> this is something that I've kind of arrived to myself, and uh, and it might, it might qualify as something, but it might not. I'm willing to be wrong about it. But to me, a cult is, uh, the only difference between a religion and a cult is the amount of people that are a part of it. Um, cause when you think about it, like there's, you know, if, if you were to reverse the AUB or any sort of subsect of Mormonism or FLDS or whatever, people are like, oh man, that's, ah, that's fringe. Those guys are in a cult. You know, that's yeah. crazy. They do this crazy stuff. They, they, they practice all these crazy rituals. They live this crazy lifestyle. But if you were to flip that with Catholicism and be like, oh man, this guy wears a crazy hat and speaks a language nobody does anymore. Like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if Catholicism had 500 members and was headquartered in, you know, Bluffdale, <laughs> Bluffdale, Utah, <laughs> you would call it a cult, right? Yeah. Um, I think that I think that I I would I think I would tend to agree with that, and maybe the little bit of the an, an, a, like an adjustment that I would make to that is that I I think that maybe the difference between a religion and a cult is what happens to you if you leave it. That's right. also so a good point. That's also a very good point. Because I, and this, I think with us, right, with our experience, and especially if you're in like, if you're coming out of Mormonism, I think your experience with religion is almost exclusively cult-like. Mm-hmm. And I think there are a ton of like, there, there aren't just cults in, in Mormonism, right? There are Christian cults. Sure. There are Buddhist cults. Like they're, they're fucking everywhere. Is there a language issue on, on your podcast? Should I be careful with what I say? <laughs> uh, no, no, man, it's all good. No worries. Okay, good. Good. Yeah. You're, um, you're, you're, you're free to go. But there are, there are, I'm now, as I've been kind of out, I've, I've now kind of started to come into contact with people who their experience of religion is very different than mine. Mm-hmm. And it, and it's more, it, it, there, there's, it's more in choice and it's more about an, ex, an authentic expression of their spirituality. And then doing that in communion with others who have a similar view mm-hmm. and, and, and there's no, and with that, with that scenario, there's not a punishment if you leave. Right. Yeah. So it's like, it's kind of like a take it or leave it. This is just an, this is just a way that we are expressing our collective urge for something spiritual and we're going to do it together. Sure. Um, which I think is really lovely. And I think where, where it gets into trouble is that if, if someone tries to kind of capture that spiritual urge and, and turn it into something that I'm in charge of, then I think you're, you end up in a cult. Yeah, man. It's so weird. And so let's lay out, because a lot of the listeners for the podcast are mostly from the Pinesdale area. So what is your, I need to make sure that I'm understanding exactly which subsect you grew up in. Because did you grow up, in, You it's the AUB, right? I, I'm AUB, yeah. So, okay. so uh, my family uh, is, in, is in Wyoming. Okay, that's right. They, they subscribe to the AUB, but you kind of know how it is in, in the AUB, right? In the AUB, you get a different flavor of AUB 
in kind of every little different enclave of it. Yeah. And even <laughs> a different flavor in every in every family, right? Because there's yep. such a priority placed on the man is like the priesthood holder and the head of the household. Mm-hmm. And so the, the the particular flavor of AUB that I got that is a little bit weird is it's kind of this- Can, I, can I stop you right there? Yeah. <laughs> That's a really funny sentence, what you just barely said, <laughs> of <laughs> the type of flavor, oh, the flavor of AUB that I grew up with. Like that, like describing it in a flavor is, is one of the things where I was like, oh, well, maybe a little bit of, <laughs> a little concerning maybe. <laughs> There's a little bit of like some Cocoa Puffs. And, uh, <laughs> some, some Cocoa Puffs, lucky. Yeah. Uh, well, box actually, cereal. Really, we didn't, box cereal was like, I have a, actually a bit on that. I didn't get box cereal. I got granola dirt. So granola dirt. We'll talk about your bits in a second. <laughs> but yeah, so so my, that particular flavor was uh, it, it was definitely kind of all of the doctrine that is part of the AUB. Mm-hmm. There was a strong emphasis because both of my parents had been mainstream LDS and then they joined the AUB. Okay. And there was a little bit of. Uh, kind of the sort of the Protestant, not the Protestant, the proselytizing idea, the idea of a mission mm-hmm. was really important. My dad was really um, sad that none of his, that his sons weren't going to be able to go on missions. And so actually a lot of my brothers, I didn't ever, but a lot of my brothers ended up going on like work missions. So there was that kind of element to it. And then because my family homeschooled and was kind of really obsessed with like, I don't know if, if this was your experience or not, but they were like super rah, rah, like right wing America is awesome we're going to save the constitution. So there was that kind of flavor to it. And then that sort of put them in bed with the kind of the homeschool crowd, which a lot of the homeschool crowd is, is uh, evangelical. Yes. Yeah. They picked up a lot of some of the, some of the more cultish behaviors of the evangelical crowd and kind of mixed them all into this really nice hodgepodge of, uh, you know, Wyoming AUB bullshit. Yeah, man. You're so right when you say like the different flavor of the AUB at various different spots, because at least from my experience growing up in Pinesdale, there was 100% a rivalry (laughs) between like the Pinesdale peeps and like the people down in Rocky Ridge and, you know, in that area. And so anytime that we had conference, right, we would, you know, they would show up and uh, we would always, you know, make fun of them. They would make fun of us whenever we go down there and all that stuff. So what was your, did you ever come and visit Montana or Utah? Did you ever I go did. that way? I did. So we would, we would go to Utah. We came to Utah every, every September for conference. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and then I, we popped up to Pinesdale. I think I've been to Pinesdale like two or three times. I went one summer for, for, I know that Pinesdale has conference like in July. Yeah. I think right? Yep. And I went up for a conference there. And that was one of the most memorable ones because I don't remember who it was, but someone gave one of the one of the uh, the priesthood council who was who lived there. I think it might I think his name might have been Marvin Jessup. Okay. I, I may be pulling that out of my ass, but he gave a talk that I will I will remember until the day I die, in which he just condemned the use of vegetables by teenage girls for self pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Marv did that. He did that. Oh, it may, been, it may not have been him, but it was like it was one of the it was one of the council members who lived there. Like he was giving the talk, and I, I'm looking around, and I'm like, there are fucking kids here. <laughs> was it at the conference talk? At the conference talk. Oh like my god! Up speaking, and I'm like sitting in the back. I'm like 16, and I'm like, first of all, I was like, my brain, my 16 year old, like 
horny polygamists. <laughs> what vegetables are they using? What are they doing? It was like the original, like polygamists were like the original eggplant sex people. I agree. And, and, <laughs> and then, Cucumbers, carrot, because you grow them yourself. You have dildos oh, growing in the garden. Grown, they're low. Yeah, I mean, they're, it's like wine after your, your own make, right? You can masturbate with that. <laughs> wine after your, your own, own make. <laughs> Oh, that's a deep cut reference. I don't know if a lot of people get it. Some will. Um, Some, the people who get that will really appreciate I, it. <laughs> you know, that's what you mean. That's that. That's the goal of comedy is to just set yourself on the fringe, you know, yeah, not exactly. be, be able to be related to anybody. I want to have as few people get my jokes as possible. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. And that's probably worked a lot better on TikTok than I would say on stage, right? Or yeah, no, because you're so, doing stuff in Salt Lake, though. I'm doing stuff in Salt Lake. Oh, yeah. you're so good then. Yeah. The angle that I'm doing it, what's I'm here's the angle that I'm trying to find in the comedy world is there's a, a level of explanation yeah. with with the joke, right? So there's as I've as I've started to interact, especially on TikTok, but even a little bit before then, I, I started interacting with people who are outside of totally outside of the Mormon context. And they're fascinated, right? It, it's like, it's like they, it's like watching a train wreck and they just like, can't look away. Oh yeah. So there's a level of interest there. And so, but it's, it's sort of difficult sometimes to, to match that interest and then to tell jokes that, that relate. Right. So you, it's been a bit of a, it's been a bit of a, uh, a tricky path to, to follow. Yeah. That's cool. Um, Cause you're obviously doing stuff that nobody else is. So it's, you stick out. Right. Yeah, it makes, um, it makes me unique. How long have you been doing stand up? I started stand up in May of last year. May of last year. So you're almost hitting a year then. Almost hitting a year, yeah. Nice, man. That's dope. It's been really fun. It's That's great. Fun. Uh what are what are your, some of your best bits? You want to hit me with some? I do. Uh so my favorite bit is so I have a bit where I talk about all of my family's kids. Okay. And how many of them there are. And I, I say, you know, uh it's it's Pretty nice growing up with the name Benjamin when you're raised polygamous because that plays well in the modern world. Mm -hmm. My brother Mahanrai is fucked. <laughs> Mahanrai isn't even the weirdest plug name I know because back home there was a kid named Tianka. Oh, Jesus. Oh, no. Okay. Well, okay. Before, okay. Oh, I know. All right. Which is a weird name for Mormons because that's two things that they aren't allowed to swallow. I oh, love it, man. Love it. So <laughs> there's a part of me, again, that's a little bit of jealousy here because my little brother's name is Tianka. Oh, see, yeah. And oh, I think I have my bit pulled up. I wanted to tell you this because I knew, I think I heard that joke uh, when Devin told me. And I said, yeah, my little brother's name is Tiankum. It's the name, that it, and then I would say on stage like, oh yeah, it's a name for the, a guy in the Book of Mormon, but I think that's not what you guys heard. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because it's funny, right? There's, and that's yeah. what's fun about comedy, right? About jokes is that you can come at the same joke from a couple of, from different angles. Yeah. Because right? there's something, there's something funny about the name Tiancom. <laughs> yeah. So basically my punchline is uh, Tiancom has never been with a Mormon girl because putting him anywhere near her mouth is against her religion. Oh, um, dude, that's good. <laughs> he, yeah. And then the same, this is, I want to run this past you so we can probably come to a little bit of an agreement and, or figure out what's going on. I think it's, this is a rare moment, I think in polygamist comedians Maybe history <laughs> is that are we able to say our respective jokes on stage without getting I think we weird can. about it? I think we can. Because we, we can go in. We're go, like, I'm not, I'm not going, I'm going in a different direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. sweet. 
Awesome. Yeah, there's, I'm so there's, glad. There's, so <laughs> here's the more people who are making fun of this shit, the better. Oh, I agree. So, I agree. The more jokes that are out there about it, the better. And we both fucking grew up there. So we both earned the right to tell those jokes. Yeah, my little brother's name is Tianka. I'm like, how can I not have that joke? Right. You have to have that joke. Exactly. Sweet, man. So what's the what's the scene like in Salt Lake these days? Uh, one of my friends, actually, you might you might get to know him. Um, cause he's in the Salt Lake area. He used to be here in Spokane doing comedy. He's really funny. His name is Drew Simon. Um, there is a Drew that is, that comes to open mics. I don't know if, what, if his last name is Simon. Yeah. What pay, does he uh, look like? Oh, I'll send you some pictures and stuff. Um, I was about to say white, but then you guys are in Utah. So that doesn't really make and sense. Everyone, yeah. <laughs> um, no, he's a, he's a really funny guy. Uh, he grew up LDS, but now he's kind of in the spot. I don't want to speak for him too much. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll be asking him if I can yeah, use his me, name. Let me know. I would love to connect. I haven't met, I, I've been going there for a while, but it's kind of hard. Like there's like groups and so it's, it's I've met like a couple of the comics. Is um, it clicky? I don't know if it's clicky or if it's that as a polygamist, I don't know how to introduce myself to people. Oh, that makes sense. More, that makes more sense. <laughs> probably that one. They're all probably really lovely people. And I just sure. don't know how. Well, I mean, they're comics, so probably not, but. They're pro- yeah, they're probably <laughs> assholes, but they would totally like hang out with you. Sure. Yeah. No, that's definitely a comedian thing. Uh, at least from my experience, because I'm, you know, I've been doing comedy here in Spokane since March of last year. Uh, oh, nice. this is basically when everything got moved and, you know, opened back up in Washington. I don't know yeah. what the timeline was like for you guys in Utah, but in, in Utah, they were, I mean, Utah hasn't really done that. They've been, they've been really lenient on the restrictions and stuff, Sure, but, uh, but they the wise guys. So the, the, the place that I go, kind of the, the place where co- comics go in, in Utah's wise guys, and they've got a bunch of different locations. Mm-hmm. And I was, I, they were basically open through the whole pandemic. They just had restrictions. So for sure. a while they had like really limited how many people could come and you had to wear a mask and okay. all that. The very first open mic that I did, there was like a bottle of Lysol spray mm-hmm. on the, on, yep. the, you know, on the stool that you had to like spray the mic on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The very first time I ever told jokes on stage was at Wise Guys in downtown. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Oh, that's cool, dude. Yeah. No, that was back in 2017, I think. I was living down yeah. in Salt Lake for a job down there. But then after that, I moved to China and started doing comedy there. But um, oh, yeah, that's a <laughs> different episode. How do, polygamy jokes, how do polygamy jokes play in China? Uh, they hate them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not so much they hate them. It's just that they don't understand, they don't right? Them, yeah. Like, okay, so here's the thing about doing comedy in China. I haven't really talked about doing comedy in China on my podcast now that I think about it. But why not? So uh, when I moved out there, it was me and the girlfriend at the time. Um, we had lived together in Utah and then we moved out there together and it was basically like both of us were like, you know what? We're kind of just lost interest in our jobs. I was emotionally drained from mine. She didn't like hers. Let's go be young and leave. Right. So we just left to go teach English. Yeah. It was, it was an incredible experience. I was gone from 28, August of 2018 to August of 2019. (laughs) And this is another one of the bits that I have on stage, but August of 2018 to August of 2019 is a really weird year to be away from the States. Because you don't get American news when you're out there. None. I didn't get a stitch of of any American news. Oh, God. Right? So I landed back in the U.S. in September of 2019, and then everyone's drinking White Claws, and I had no idea. (laughs) I didn't even know White Claws were a thing. So people are like looking at me like, you know, it's like, oh man, you should try some. It's like, you never wore Birkenstocks before I left. Like, what are you? Anyway, but yeah, man, like the audiences out there were mainly um, just expats. Yeah. So English teachers and, you know, people who have jobs out there and, you know, we would get, you know, a a small handful of, you know, local Chinese folks and at the open mic crowds and stuff and, and everything. But 
I mean, the thing that, I mean, I talked about it a little bit on stage, but people would just sit there and like, whoa, and not really laugh. And I was like, I don't really, I mean, I was in my first year of doing comedy. So it's like, I don't know if I want to have people be interested in me or laugh at me. So I started prioritizing the laughs. And I, in my opinion, that helped out a lot more in the long run, because then like, if you're funny enough, then you're going to be interesting. And then once they're interested, then you can go into the interesting stuff. Um, so yeah, no, it's, it was a crazy experience. They don't really like, uh, jokes about China in China. Uh, yeah, we, uh, I was lucky enough to go down to Hong Kong and do some jokes down there. Um, oh, dude, that sounds rad. Dude, it was so dope. And uh, the joke that I told, I was allowed to say in Hong Kong that I wasn't allowed to say in China. It's a very stupid, simple joke. And you have to know your Chinese history a little bit to get it. But uh, I would say, like, why are there never any Chinese Olympic long jumpers? Well, because last time they took a giant leap forward, everybody starved. Oh, so, um <laughs> Yeah, uh, people in Hong Kong loved that joke. Oh, they loved oh, that joke, uh, but I wasn't allowed to say it on the mainland. Yeah, and, they pro- and that probably would that joke would have gotten you killed in the mainland. I was gonna say I'd not killed, suicided, quote unquote. <laughs> he just he couldn't he couldn't keep it up. Yeah, he wasn't here. I don't know who you're talking about. What do you mean, Chris? Um, up there are fifty six of them. <laughs> there's fifty six. We've checked Instagram, even though it's illegal to have it. Yeah, no, it was a crazy experience and then being back in the States and, and stuff and um, being back in Spokane. And Spokane's great, man. You should come out here and do some jokes, man. You would, I would crush. Love to do that. I, I would love to hit, I would love to hit Spokane. Part of what I want to do is, is I'm, I'm building a plan for like a tour and the idea of it A is, tour? Yeah, I want to do a tour, but it's, it's a bit of a different tour. Okay. What I want to do is it's, so part of the, part of the thing that I'm doing is it's not just the, the comedy. It's also been having had a really sheltered childhood out experiencing new things, right? So that was kind of the first thing okay. that I did is I haven't done anything. Like, I don't know anything. Like, show me the cool shit that you guys like want to do. And so I have this idea where I want to like pop into different, so I come to Spokane, have people from Spokane show me around and do the cool things that are in Spokane. Let's make I'm it like, happen. I'm like, I'm like filming that and putting it on my YouTube channel. And then I go and I do a, go and I do a standup set. So it's kind of like this, this, this tour of like, it's comedy, but it's also show Ben America. Ah, dude. Well, hey, if you need someone to uh, to help out with filming and, and all that stuff, and obviously you have a place to crash if you come up here, then yeah, let me know, man. I would love to help out with that. I would I would love to to, to take you take you up on that. So I will totally do that. Sweet. So when when did you uh, formally leave? So I left. Uh, I left kind of in stages. So I I I left the ranch that I grew up on in mm-hmm. two thousand seven. And in 2007, I left to go to college, um, which is pretty abnormal, as you know, for for people from in that sect. But my family um, believed that they needed a lawyer, a lawyer in the family to protect them from the evil government who was coming to take their kids any day. So you went to law school? I didn't. I went to a liberal arts school and was there for a couple of years and was like, oh, I'm done with this. I'm, I'm out. Mm-hmm. So while I was at the liberal arts school. I met a girl who was uh, she was LDS Mormon. And then we got married. And so I became LDS. And then I was LDS for five years. So I, I left. I left the compound in 2007. Whoa, okay. I left, the, I left the faith in 2010, and then I left uh, LDS Mormonism in 2015. 2015. Okay. So you're fuck. You're you're an infant right now, dude. I am. I'm a little tiny baby. Yeah. That's awesome. That's yeah, and great. Then after that, so from 2015, kind of been up until now, I sort of went on a big healing journey. So after after leaving, I, I just realized that I'd experienced a lot of like trauma growing up, mm-hmm. in addition to like the religious bullshit 
my family also labor trafficked me. So that wasn't super fun. Well, and yeah, probably. I don't know if that's your experience. It's not, not, it's not mine. Thankfully I'm, you know, I'm happy about that. Uh, but we did not, I mean, Pinesdale, you've been there. It's not really a, it's a, it's a little bit tucked out of the way and, and that kind of thing from the kind of the rest of the area. So I don't know what sort of geographic proximity your guys' ranch had to, um, yeah, other, it was, out, it was like out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. So that isolation, I think might've been a, contributing factor. Whereas with the stuff like I went to public school late in high school and like that kind of stuff, my dad was a referee. Like I went to basketball games. Like I was exposed to, I mean the world quote unquote, right. You know, ever since I was a kid. So like the difference between your AUB experience and my AUB experience is that I would say mine was like semi hard and you was like rock hard. His level of cult. I was like, mine was like, mine was like seven pills of Viagra. (laughs) Seven pills, seven. All right. That's like awesome. They, they went for it. Yeah, they, they were hard for but days. That, that kind of, after I left the LDS church, I was like, I, I started to sort of grapple with that. So I did I did um, a lot of trauma therapy. I kind of like real, like I went for it. I was like, I'm fucked up. I'm I'm traumatized. I'm going to heal myself. And so I did that. And, uh, and then after kind of going through that, I sort of kind of opened up and I became like, and in fact, I, I, I should show you, I've got, I have a picture of my driver's license before and after and my face is totally changed. Like I was like, just like hunched down and like shut down. And I just like opened up and like totally relaxed. That's awesome, Um, man. And then from there, then it it was like, ooh, I'm out here in this amazing world. I wanna go see it, I wanna experience it. And, And it's been really fun. Like one of the gifts that I think that I have is growing up the way that I did is that I'm delighted by almost everything. And so it's like, it doesn't take much to make me happy. Sweet. And so it's kind of cool cause I can sort of show people how awesome things are because mm-hmm. we sometimes forget, right? We, we take things for granted that uh, are fucking amazing. Like, yeah, no, that's so, that's so true. So your therapy, the therapy stuff is also interesting to me. I work as a mental health counselor. So, oh, awesome. um, cool, yeah. So when you're going through that therapy stuff, what were you doing? Like EMDR? Were you doing, I was doing EMDR, um, uh, something called brain spotting, which mm-hmm. is kind of similar to EMDR. Yep. And then I, and most of what I did was called was psychosomatic work. Yep. So, so you, you know, so psychosomatic mm-hmm. work is just kind of like, it's, it sounds so weird, especially when I first started, I was like, you're going to, you're going to have me sit and feel my body and charge me $175 an hour. You know, <laughs> but at the same time though, in my opinion, I've only I've only been a part of people. I, I, I'm not trained in giving people brains, you know, that stuff or EMDR or, or psychosomatic. Like I'm not trained in order to give it, but I've seen people give it to others, like through therapy work and just kind of being around. And that psychosomatic stuff to me, I was in the same boat. I was like, "What the hell are you talking about? You telling I'm touching my like, oh, point and touch this part of your body." And it's not like you're in therapy masturbating. <laughs> By no, the way, no, that's no, not it. Like, but it's like you're touching your like your shoulder. Yep, touch your shoulder, touch your forehead, touch your chin, like that kind of stuff. Um, but what was your experience like with that? It's transformational, right? So, yeah. So that's what's weird about it is that you you it's so it seems so simple, but what happens to people who have experienced trauma? is that it's a trauma is a, an emotion or a feeling in your body that's too big to process at that moment, mm-hmm. right? And so when that happens, your brain does something that's actually incredibly brilliant, which is it just shuts it off. It's just like, I can't deal with this shit right now, off. And so people who have experienced lots of trauma are, are really isolated from their body. So like I, 
I wouldn't like, I wouldn't walk around and like feel my feet or feel my legs. When I would sit in a chair, I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel that I wasn't inhabiting the body that I was in. And so having someone to sort of say, slow down and feel what's happening in your body. At first I was like, this is bullshit. And then all of a sudden I started feeling stuff and it was like pain and it was anger. And it was like all of this, all of these emotions and feelings and sensations that had been locked in my body all started to come out. And then the, what the therapist is trained to do is sort of hold that space and mirror you. Mm-hmm. So they're making the same movements that you're making. And then they help you link the, link the, the sensations to cognitions. Yep. So you're able to sort of tie those together and be like, oh, when this thing happened, when this memory happened or this belief was formed, this is what it felt like. And yep. then you feel it and then it's done. And it, I, I kind of think about it like a conveyor belt, like all of our emotions, all of our feelings are sort of on this like conveyor belt in our bodies. And if you don't feel them, it's not like you never have to feel them again. It's, it's like the conveyor belt gets backed up. Yeah. So before I did, before I did all of my work, I would have, it was weird where I would have emotional responses to things days or weeks after they happened. That's what happens when you get, you gotta, you can't keep things locked up, dude. You gotta let him out. Well, you have. You can't. You yeah, can't. It has to come out, right? And so, psychosomatic work was just really helpful in in sort of giving me the space and the ability to feel my body again and to have have feelings right now, so that I'm not afraid of them anymore. They just happen, right? A yeah. feeling happens, and I'm like, "Ooh, that's a feeling. That's great." Feelings feelings on average last like 90 seconds, mm-hmm. no more than 90 seconds. So I feel something, and the feeling is now that I've kind of cleaned it out. The feeling is always related to something right now. So there's, if I get angry at someone, I'm not getting like all of the anger that I've ever felt in my life angry. I'm getting this much angry mm-hmm. about something that you did that was annoying, right? Which is a legitimate feel. Like it's totally legitimate to get angry at someone if they cross your boundaries. Sure, totally. Yeah, it's no, like, that, that that stuff is really cool. And a lot of people don't really understand what like the level of research that goes into it. So all the psychosomatic stuff and and, and the, like where it is in your body and how your body kind of like locks things away. I think it's Vander Kolk. Uh, yeah. yeah, body keeps the score. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so <clears throat> so, yeah, his work has obviously like, cha- like transformed how people do therapy um, and that kind of stuff. And I, my favorite thing specifically in regards to uh, the polygamist men that have I've interacted with is that basically, I mean, when I started doing therapy, like as a profession, I, w- I wasn't a therapist. Like I worked in therapy. <clears throat> that was my job in Utah. I worked as a, at a wilderness therapy company. Um, cool. And, you know, now I work as a mental health counselor and, and all that stuff. So like the stuff that I've seen happen and work has been completely, it has been so amazing to see. And then when, you know, I go back home to hang out with my family or, or for a vacation or something like that, my uncles or, or somebody is like, so how's this uh, therapy stuff going? You know? And I tell them how crazy it is that you like, yeah, you sit there and you touch your shoulder and your chest and your stomach and your legs and your kneecap and your cat, you're, you're touching all over yourself. And you know, you're just all of a sudden just bringing awareness to those connections. Like this fingertip is now right here, you know, and like that kind of stuff and how that completely unlocks stuff. And they're like, ah, oh, that's a bunch of beef. Yes. That's a bunch right. of bull, you know? And cause they don't swear. They don't say bull. They don't, they don't say, swear. they don't say bullshit. They say bull, <laughs> but yeah, like that. I, I've always been fascinated by the guys who are like, yeah, I'm not really that emotional of a guy. Yeah. And it's like, what do you mean, dude? Are you a robot? Cause you're a human being and human beings just have emotions. Just saying, Oh, you're not a emotionally aware person. Yeah. To say that, to say that you're not an emotional human is to say that you aren't human. Exactly. Right. You're not, that's how emotions are, how we interact. They're how we 
know how we're doing in the social world that we inhabit and to be locked away from that. And that's actually one of the things that's hard for me having done healing is to go back into, into like into my family's house or kind of go back and visit with my family because I can see the trauma and the lockedness. Like I can see it in their bodies. I can see it in how they move. And I just want to like, just want to like shake them and be like, <laughs> you're traumatized. Yeah. Like you're dealing with unresolved trauma. And if you went and took care of it, I'm not even saying don't be polygamist anymore. Yeah. You probably won't after that, but I'm not even like you could, you could stay polygamist, but go do the work, go really unpack and let yourself heal because then your experience of whatever it is that you do next is going to be more authentic. Yeah. And, and more authentic to who you are as a person, because yeah. as a person, you are emotional. <laughs> you yeah. Are. Exactly. It's so dumb. And like, I go back home and just from the experience of, of working in the mental health field and stuff, going back home and yeah, same thing, watching people just kind of go about their days and you just kind of recognize all of the levels of trauma that it's like nine hells deep, you know, totally. and you're just sitting there watching them. You're like, damn, dude, you need to just sit down on the couch and cry in front of someone, man. Like, yes. That is, it's going to be so valuable. And I've talked to, you know, some of my relatives who have started that process and, you know, they're like, yeah, I tried, <laughs> I tried edibles for the first time. And man, that was a horrible experience. And I was like, well, why? There's like, well, everything started coming up, you know, it's <laughs> like, what do you mean? That was so good for you. It felt good. Right. To get all those emotions out. They're like, yeah, but it sucked. It's like, dude, you should try mushrooms. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, man, like that kind of stuff is, is so needed. And I wish more people would be. You know, hopefully for anybody who might be listening, uh, totally. if you are, are on the fence about, you know, getting into therapy, I mean, I have my stamp of approval. Yeah, I would totally stamp it too. In fact, that's part of part of what I feel like the, the mission that I'm on is to, with, with comedy and with just telling the story is to sort of show what I did, right? To say, look, this is the journey that I went on and it involved an authentic looking at my trauma and you can do that and you can be okay, right? You're not, I think that a lot of people are scared to do, because I, I know I was, right? When I first started getting into my trauma, I was scared that it would never stop. I was like, if I open that box, then I, I will never be okay again. That is a testament to how fucking gnarly it is to grow up in that situation. It's pretty I gnarly, think. right? Like that in and of it, yeah. that, that fear in and of itself is, a, is like a, a sign of trauma. Yeah. <laughs> it's, another, it's another trauma. Right? Yeah, yeah. I'm afraid to deal with my trauma because it's traumatizing. Mm -hmm. but, but here's the thing that I found out since, since getting out, right? Fucking everyone has it, right? Trauma is not limited to, you know, kids who grow up in polygamous cults. Absolutely. Everyone has it. And if, and if we, and if it were just more okay to acknowledge and talk about, and I think we're shifting that direction, but any kind of voice that's out there saying, Hey, I dealt with my trauma. This is what it was like. This is why it was good for me. And you should too. Right. Or if you want to, there's that it's safe, right. That it's an okay thing to do. You're not going to be, you're not weak. You're not, you're not, it's never going to, it's not going to break you. It's not going to change who you are. None of those things are true. It's just going to finally allow you to be you. Yeah. And people think, you know, the typical toxic masculine type of idea is like, if you show your emotions, it means you're weak. Right. right. I grew up with it and it's still around. Right. That I, that's a problem that's always going to be with dudes uh, yeah. who are in this area of the world. Right. The thing that one of the biggest lessons that I've learned from not only working in this field, but also participating in therapy for myself has been like, dude, you know, people think like, oh man, you're so strong. You can withstand so much. 
Mm. It's like true strength. I mean, that is strong. That's that is strength. That is a version of that word. But like being able to like move that shield out and being like, here's my soft little tender underbelly. I'm vulnerable. Like, come at me, bro. That is true strength where it's like, I can show you my deep, dark and nasty. Yeah. It's harder and scarier to expose the soft, vulnerable parts of you than it is to like pretend like they're not there. So anytime, anytime, uh, my family members are, uh, like being like, no, 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 I'm fine. I just call him a pussy. Um, <laughs> no, I don't, I don't no, I'm good. I was like, yeah, whatever pussy. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe fighting, maybe, maybe fighting fire with fire is not a good idea with that one, but I don't know. I like it. I like, <laughs> I like the idea of like, of, it's sort of like we're tricking them into, it's like, oh yeah, prove your, you want to prove that you're a man, go to therapy. Yeah. You ain't no man. <laughs> we should like, we should, it should be like the, the new, the new way to like man up is to like go to therapy. Oh on, my God. Oh, there you go. Hey, here's a quick question. Cause you said man up. Have you seen the book of Mormon pro- uh, Broadway play? Oh yeah. You um, have? Oh, thank God. Like live? Live. Yeah. Did you watch it in yeah. Salt Lake? It came in, came to Salt Lake. I saw it here in Salt Lake. When was it? Uh, oh geez. Like three years ago, I think. We might've been there at the same time because that's when i saw it i'm going to believe that we were i'm going to believe that too (laughs) it was it was great dude that was so incredible to watch and there's that music because the when you said man up that's the title of the song in the in the show but uh which is hilarious part and uh, elder cunningham is a fucking hilarious character but when we were there i don't I'm, i'm assuming the same thing was for you but when that number came where the, the young lady is singing about Saltale Cassiti, right? And the entire auditorium was just sitting there like it was Aerosmith's closer. They were like, yeah, I like that's us. Yeah, it was so funny. <laughs> yeah, man. Great, great. I uh, If you want a completely transformative, and I know I've, we've used that word a few times so far, but that is an experience where like, if you want Mormons distilled into the perfect joke in song form, yeah. Which to me yeah. is even more Mormon because Mormons love musicals. Oh, Mormons love musicals. Yeah. That, that musical is like the perfect way to really just kind of cut and like stick it to Mormons while also being really like also being kind of loving, which is yeah. weird, right? By the end of the show, you're kind of like, yeah, this is, this is a bullshit story, but you understand why people tell stories like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I get it. Yeah. You're like not mad at the Mormons. You're like, you're like, ah, that's just, that's just a story that got away from them. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Joseph Smith was just telling stories and it got a little out of hand. And you know what? He was charismatic and sociopathic enough to just make it happen. You know? Exactly. Yeah. In some ways he is the true, he is the, he's a, you know, the rags to riches American story. I mean, it's the American religion, right? Yeah. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many of my friends who, who when they're talking to me about Mormonism, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, in the Book of Mormon, when they do this, 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 and I was like, that's not in the Book of Mormon at all. And they're talking about the play. I'm talking about the book. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, when they start singing, and I was like, that doesn't happen in Second Nephi. I, I you know? <laughs> but the Book of Mormon, dude. Have you ever have you ever heard of uh, there's this podcast called the My Book of Mormon podcast? My Book of Mormon. I've I it's come up in my algorithm a few times for. I wouldn't watch, I wouldn't do the whole thing, but I would, I would listen to a, I would try a couple of episodes because it's, it's done by this guy named David Mitchell. Okay. Who has no context for the book of Mormon. Okay. He's never like he's, he, he went to Salt Lake once 
So the very first episode of his podcast, he's like, guys, I was in Salt Lake last week and there were like tons of Mormons. I was like, oh, I've heard of Mormons. There's this book of Mormon. I'm gonna just read it and I'm gonna, and he reads it live. So he's just reading it and responding to it on his podcast. And so as he's reading it, his perspective from the outside on, on is fascinating. Really? It's immediately, like he immediately sides with Layman and Lemuel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. He's like, he's like, of course I wouldn't want to go out into the wilderness with my crazy dad. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm no. going to give away all my stuff. Yeah. Why is my little brother always getting all the shit? Seriously. Yeah. Yeah, that that's great. That's awesome. That's actually been that was one of the ideas that I had um, that stemmed into this podcast. Oh, um, really? Yeah, because there's a you know I have a few friends who are aren't Mormon and stuff who are curious. Not in a way they're like I want to join or whatever, but like dude, we got to read this book. And so an idea that I had was reading the Book of Mormon to my friends, and then oh, we just great. riff and, and and have a good time. I don't want to steal his his premise and idea too much, but. Um, but hey, how many true crime podcasts are there? So there, there are tons, and that's that's a that's a you've got a unique angle there, which is you know the polygamy background and sort of and just being able to kind of talk about having someone who knows the context, mm-hmm. and someone who doesn't. That that would be interesting. That'd be fun. Parts in the, it'd be it'd be fun to see how just how the how you view it differently because when you're raised in it, you get told who the good guys are. Yeah. Right you're told, hey, Nephi is the good guy, so cheer for him. Oh, when, I got to ask you something. Go ahead, finish your thought. Well, just when an objective reading of it is like, if you actually read that, Nephi's a fucking asshole. <laughs> he truly is, dude. Nephi is an asshole and a murderer. Yep. He chopped a dude's head off. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's the question that I have. Did you grow up watching Living Scriptures? hundred percent. Oh, thank God. Okay. So here's another, (laughs) here's another premise for a podcast is doing the same thing. Me watching it, but with someone who has no idea. Dude, I wanted to do this too. Have you seen mystery science theater 3000? Yes, I have. So it's like that, but with Mormon, like with the book of Mormon. Yeah. And all the living scriptures. Yeah. With Saturday's warriors. Yep. (laughs) With, uh, with like the old seminary videos that they've got. I Mm -hmm. think that would kill dude. That would be hilarious. It would be so fun. And so I have, I have a few people who are, who are willing to sit down and do it with me. And, uh, basically I have to figure out a way to publish it without getting in trouble from the church because it's copyright shit, you know? So I'm trying to figure out how to, how to make that happen. Yeah. I wonder, I've been trying to figure that out too, because there, there are things that I want to do where I'm watching things and responding to them, like watching the Simpsons or watching like anything that I didn't get to see. And I wonder if you could film your reaction, right? So the camera's on you. So there's nothing on there that is, so you're not showing the thing, but you just tell people, Hey, this is like when you start it. So they, they're watching it with you. That could work. Yeah. That's a little weird. Cause then they would have to find, they'd have to find it. uh, The church obviously has a streaming service. I've looked yeah. into it. <laughs> really? uh, yeah, they do. Those and so, uh, oh. so yeah, they have, they have all the living scriptures on there and everything. So next question about living scriptures. Don't you think it's kind of funny that in living scriptures, I might be pulling the, putting the cart before the horse for this, uh, for this podcast idea, but how Laman and Lemuel are illustrated to be darker skin tone than Nephi. Totally. And how Nephi's the good guy and Laman and Lemuel are just drawn and like you it's very obvious that they're the villains. Yeah. 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 Man. One of the that one one of the things that I've I've just been 
like really vocal about as I've talked about all of this is that there is there is white supremacy baked into Mormonism. It is like it is baked in. So it's so funny to me when when like when the BLM stuff was happening in 2020, right? When all that is coming out and people to hear people with a straight face say things like there's no such like white supremacy isn't a thing in America. We don't have that. I'm like, bullshit. I was raised as a white supremacist. Yeah. And even now, like the LDS church, which is the most mainstream, they still have the book of Mormon and in the book of Mormon, dark skin is a curse. Second Nephi chapter five, verse 21. That is some heinous racist bullshit. Yeah. Like, that is, it doesn't get any worse than that. It's in the doctrine. It's in the doctrine, right? You cannot get around it. And they have not disavowed that, right? The only way for them to fix that is to say publicly, in we our are story, racist. They did, this is what it said. That is wrong. We disavow that. Well, I mean, the whole thing with 1978 and, you know, the reversal of, you know, African Americans and those of yeah. darker skin tones having the priesthood, that. Yeah in and of itself is like a huge, and not a lot of people know that, which is crazy. So like when, that. like in the Book of Mormon play, when when that line where he's saying, uh, 1978 God changed his mind about black people. Black people, yeah. So that, that part, you know. Oh.